Assalamu alaikum, brother. Peace to the universe. We are in the effing universe. One hour black power thinking. Um, hopefully within the hour we will get to some insights. And if we don't, uh, we at least want to exercise our minds in terms of communication with one another as black people. It's not limited to black people, but um, it is ex- indeed the theme upon which this podcast will flow. Um, how are you doing tonight, brother? Uh, no complain, bro. Watch yourself. I, <laughs> I, I, w- I won't fall into the trap of complaining, but uh, it's just... Um, uh, irritated by you know family circumstances so that's the uh, mindset I bring to tonight's podcast but I don't want it to be overwhelming to my psyche okay but um, and that's fine but um, understanding that Whatever it is that we do, um, we set our our intentions for the purposes, and that whatever it is that we discuss um, will be helpful uh, potentially to, to a potential listener in the future. Yes, sir. Um, I had to um, say to someone tonight. Um, I just had to go open the door for my daughter, and I'm like. You can't um, just expect people to come and open the door for you at any time of the night. You're a guest in this house. You you have to um, have respect for people's time. That's totally people without responsibility do not have respect for other people's time. I don't think she got the lesson. I didn't yell. I just texted. Yeah, and and I think um, so. In a therapeutic session, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that probably would be discussed is is understanding boundaries, mm-hmm. right? And and creating boundaries, right? And so, depending on what technique that a therapist would use, um, specifically if it was someone like myself. Um, mm-hmm. I I would definitely um, want to work on creating boundaries and creating healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. And boundaries is, is what sets the limitations of uh, the structure of the family and how the family works. In, in in understanding who is who, you know, in the family, in understanding how the family works, and understanding what creates function and what creates dysfunction and when you don't have healthy boundaries then you start to create dysfunctional relationships and dysfunctional behaviors in the family mm-hmm. and so um, that's one of the things that you know I you know I would talk about and that's one of the things that I would say to, to you is um, you know look at um, creating healthy 
boundaries. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, um, those lines aren't, aren't crossed because when they are crossed, then it starts to create something else. Mm-hmm. Right? It starts to create um, and, and, and I like to uh, at least attempt to separate the problem from the individual. Mm-hmm. Right? Meaning that you know I might be angry you know at your behavior I'm not angry at, at you mm-hmm. you know and so and and so separating that person helping that person to understand that it's the behavior that you're demonstrating mm-hmm. or that is being demonstrated not you right and understand mm-hmm. that person is not necessarily um, not necessarily that that anger and that person isn't necessarily their, their behavior, but understand, but helping that person to understand that they need to separate themselves from that behavior mm-hmm. because they are, because what's happening is you are, oh, you, we, I begin to attach people with their behavior, mm-hmm. right? And so if I attach you with your behavior and if your behavior makes me upset, then I'm upset with you. So I mm-hmm. understand that I'm not upset with you or I don't love you but the behavior that you're demonstrating is what I'm upset with and I want you to be able to understand that you are different from your behavior but you're letting your behavior dictate who you are hmm. that's very important because we just went through yesterday and the breakdown and believing that she's a failure and I didn't want to have to say what I had to say tonight, but um, I have to, as you say, I have to establish those boundaries. You can't cross those boundaries. So she tells me that she's at her mother's house. I'm like, your mother won't let you stay there. So I wouldn't care if you was at Jesus Christ's house. You have to respect other people's boundaries. But this this is the then she gets mad at me. I can understand why you're mad, but um if you had to go to prison, there there is no um and this ain't a prison, but and that's why I told her it wasn't a rule of the house. It is respect for the house. And if you don't show respect for the house, you won't be here long. And that's not my my rule. That's the lady of the house. This is her her house. She don't want that in her house. And I'm trying to convey that to her. I can't help you if she puts you out on the street. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, it's funny because, uh, well, it's not that it's funny, but I've had conversations, you know, um, even with, with, with my children mm-hmm. and explaining to them that, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I, I I don't think I was necessarily in a rush to grow up, but I, mm-hmm. but I had to grow up very quickly. Right. That, that I remember the most is that I remember wanting not to have to follow rule. Right. right? And what, what, what I strangely began to realize um, and what I tell my kids that with 
with new age comes new responsibility. Mm. You're not going to be able to get away from that. And also that regardless of where you go in life, regardless if, if you have your own place, your own house, your own apartment, right. you're always going to have to follow rules. Right. You're always going to have to follow laws. Even if you're homeless, you still have to abide by the laws of the land. Hmm. I want to be able to escape that, right? And I, I was in a session with a, uh, a client, and the client was um, like roughly around ten, but the mm-hmm. and the dad both in the. And I, what I was client was, um, because the client was was the uh, juvenile. I, I was saying to him that what your parents are demonstrating right now, why you might not feel it or feel like it, is love. Right. What I'm to you is that we, no one is going to love you like we love you. And what we want you to understand is there's rules in, in, in our house. And there's rules in the world. Hmm. And what we're trying to teach you, and, and like what I've said to my kids, what I'm trying to show you now, what the rest of the world is going to show you. That is, if and it ain't gonna be so pretty. Absolutely, but you are going to have to follow rules all the days of your life. And if mm-hmm. you follow rules, then you're gonna be forced to follow rules. Hmm. You go to prison. You don't. You, it doesn't matter what you think. Right. You are going to follow every rule in the book, and if you don't, then you're gonna be forced to. That's right. So you either utilize the freedom that you have right now, right, and abide by those rules, or you be for, or allow yourself to be forced by rules. Either way, you will have you have to follow. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you went to live in the jungle, you still have to follow rules. That's right. Otherwise, the animal is going to kill you. Hmm. That is correct, sir. It's just um, frustrating to um, not only have to do that, but to um, have to experience it. I wasn't cut up for parenthood. And um, I have very little patience for people. Which is why I stay to myself most of the time. Well, let me, let me, um, that's what I want to say. I don't want to say, let me appease you. Uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, let me just say that Sigma Freud, who's like the father of psychoanalysis, right? He thought that people were very complex. He thought that people were, um, the word that he used. He used the word um, can't think of the exact word so I'll give you the definition of the word. He mm-hmm. were um, uh, that people fed into their, their desires. Um, I don't want to say the word was demonstrative but it was it, and that, and that's why he talked about the id, the ego, and the super ego. 
these were things mm-hmm. that actually existed, but these were things that people demonstrated according to according to, to Freud, right? And so, it is alleged, right, that his whole thing with psychoanalysis and having people sit on the couch is because he didn't like to be looked at. He didn't like to be stared at. <laughs> and so he felt like people were very complex people, very difficult, you know, mm-hmm. very driven by their their desires. Uh, and so he, he wasn't a big fan of people either. Um, <laughs> and and so, um, so I, I say that when I say, I'm saying that to appease you is understand or to say that, you know, you don't have to feel um, abnormal. <laughs> you know, people are very um, challenging, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Uh... To understand and to deal with. So I, I, I get it, right? But it's what I do for a living. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's part of how I understand who I am, where I come from, and where I aspire to go. Because hmm. I come from challenges all my life. Those challenges have made me who I am, and I understand how certain people, different people, um, get or not get to where they want to be in life, based on the people that they interact with, or even the interactions they have with themselves. So, um, you know, and there and and there there are people along the way that you are forced to interact with, that you have no choice. Which is your mom, your dad, or just your mom, you know, or your brothers, your siblings, your cousins, all these people that may or may not be dysfunctional may have a lot to do with why a person might feel like I don't like dealing with people. Mm-hmm. And if you throw friends in that um, com- that combination, that makes it even more complicated. So I, I, I understand that. And in conclusion, I'll say that. When you say that, um, like parenting, something not cut out for, parenting is the one thing I think in the world. Um, I don't know if many of us are cut out for, right? <laughs> because it's the one thing in life, like what, particularly in America, or you know, or but let me just speak to America. At least in America, you know, for you to be able to smoke. Cigarettes legally, you got to be 18. Mm-hmm. Military, you got to be at least 18. You know, for you to be able to drive, you got to be at least, you know, um, 16, 17. But there are all these rules in place for, for you to be able to do things. Parenting is the one thing that you don't. So you can end up being a parent at 13 or 14 or 15. Have the skills to be, a, but come hmm. up by default. Your your um, mic is breaking up. I'm sorry. That's all right. Can Can you hear me better? Better, perfect. So I I, I was saying that that um, some of the things in in America, you know, like you know, a driver's license, being able to go to the military, um. All different things in life or in America, you at least have to have, um, you have to be a certain age. Right. You know, you have to meet criteria. Right. But being a parent is is one of the things that you you don't have to meet a criteria to do. Mm-hmm. 
right? And so there's no skill set that's required. And so when you bring a child into the world, you're not prepared. The child is the one that suffers the most. Hmm. And uh, that's that on that. <laughs> but uh, speaking of uh, behaviors, um, uh, there's another scenario where a person is not able to comprehend um, that there are rules in society. And I sent you a video tonight. I don't know if you had an opportunity to see it, but it was um, based on this discussion that we're having about rules and your role in society. This um, homeless man was naked, attacked this um, passenger on the subway tonight. And um, when he attacked him, he pushed him over the edge um, of the train tracks. And you know, it's high here, like four feet high when you get pushed down to the train tracks in New York City. And um, another passenger came to assist the um the person that got pushed by the homeless guy that was obviously having some mental issues and um when the guy tried to help the other passenger tried to help the the victim that was pushed down into the tracks the homeless guy jumped down into the tracks and accidentally hit the third rail and was killed. Yeah, I saw that. What is that? Explain. <laughs> Analysis. Well, I think you explained it clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously the rules of society don't apply to him. What went wrong? Well, the fact that this guy was homeless and naked mm-hmm. and attacking people, I think the first thing that went wrong. Right? And I think that it's kind of human nature for some of us um, in spite of you know, that we still want to help people. That's just some of, some of, some of us, that's our, that's our nature to do. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I don't know that I think that that's that, that is that deep. Um, in that the homeless person clearly was having some mental health issues and, mm-hmm. and, and wasn't psychologically thinking clearly. And so was making a lot, a, a lot of bad decisions as a result of that. And unfortunately, it was um, the cause of his death. But mm-hmm. I, I think the deeper question to me is what got that, that homeless person to the point that that person became homeless, that person became naked, and then that person then wanted to attack people. Those are the deeper questions for me. I I, under, I can see the the uh, I can see the pattern, or I can see um, what happened to cause that um, in terms of him dying, because that he was on um, a very self destructive. Um, plan at that point 
nothing good was going to come out of that. Um, probably with the exception of being hospitalized. But mm-hmm. you can't be naked and having a psychological breakdown and trying to attack people and think that a positive outcome is going to come out of that. So that right. that, that person um, had stated and was not clearly, and as a result of that person not thinking clearly, they lost their life. But potentially could have lost the lives of many people. Hmm. I, I wanted to, uh, we're at the 20 minute mark in DF and universe. This is the first leg of three legs to the segments that we try to have this communication and dialogue. Um, eventually we'll bring it back to uh, not only the psychological aspects, but uh, how does this tie into black power thinking? Um, when we come back, brother, um, well, let's have this conversation before we go to break. The thing that I was thinking about is there is a side effect. So that's not good or bad. There's a side effect to civilization. And part of that side effect is not being able to fit in to the society that the civilization creates. Um, And there's going to be a tragic um, consequence for not conforming to society. And that is how I see the death of this homeless man who was definitely suffering from some mental issues. Wow. So I, I, I see where you were going with that or where you're going with that. The only thing I can't tie into that is that I know for sure that that's the result of how he ended up where he is. Oh, right? But what you're saying is very deep and poignant in that um, society and not being able to fit in society or not fitting into society, I think that part is key. I don't know that I can connect it to this guy because I don't know enough about his background, but based on what you just said, I can kind of speak to that. And I think that that's very profound. And I think that um, it probably speaks volumes depending on your culture, right? Um, depending on your gender, depending on your social economic um, class, um, would speak volumes to what you just said. And we could probably go, you know, like nonstop with, with that. But um, I'll try to condense it. Um, one of the things that are constantly being addressed, um, particularly in the mental health uh, arena, is um, culture, gender, uh, socioeconomics. All those things are, are critical. And, you know, if, if you're black, white, gay, you know, all those things in America, all those things are going to impact you in a certain way. Right, and so if you're if you're feeling 
like you don't fit in for whatever reason. Maybe you're not meeting <clears throat> the standards of society. Maybe you're not meeting the standards of home because you are gay or because you didn't go to college, you know, or because you're not making a certain amount of money. All these things are, will definitely impact you, but it's going to impact you because you, you know or don't know um, if you're trying to fit in what we call America's mainstream is capitalism. Mm. And if you are going or not going to recognize how capitalism works, works, then you are going to be impacted adversely. And so what I mean by that is um, in America, in order to be effective or efficient, you have to understand where you fit in, where you're going to fit in, or where you will be placed in in this Hmm. whole capitalistic society. Because in America, we have a three-tier setting where you have the rich, you have the middle class, and then you have the poor. And the the rich is a very, very, very small elite class. Hmm. Middle class um, is almost, you know, it's it's small, but kind of it's a big theme of things as relates to rich, not very existence, hmm. but but existence. Now, the poor is a manifestation, probably of the majority of the country. Hmm. Now, in understanding that, and I don't know where you get that lesson because they don't teach in the school. If you're perfectly <laughs> educated, then they don't teach it at home. Mm-hmm. Most of the people miss this lesson, right? So that's why most of the people are poor, mm-hmm. right? And so what ends up happening is you find yourself trying to fit into something, not understanding that is not set up for you to fit. So, or succeed. <laughs> right. So now, psychologically, you become traumatized or you become affected by by that because you can, mm. it. you can feel it but you can't touch it right but you want to get to it but when you can't then you become disenfranchised then you become sad um disheartened and you be, become a non participatory part in that cuz you no longer see yourself in that and you don't want to participate in that and you become anti that the outlaw outcast absolutely <laughs> we are going to take a break here and come back when we come back brother um i saw another video tonight which spoke of a common condition versus a common culture And we want to talk about um, black culture in those two categories. Um, Not whether it is or is not, but what what those two categories mean. Um, Because I think we have in the black community this condition 
such as post-traumatic slave syndrome, uh, or even without that um, diagnosis or, or um, presentation of of, um, of a theory, there is the the cultural bond that we have is um, based on some type of oppression. And um, the guy was calling that type of bond um, cult- a common condition rather than common culture. And I'll explain later when we come back from the break. Um, we are at the 20-minute mark, 29-minute mark in the effing universe. One hour of black power thinking. And we'll be right back after these messages. Peace. Me with the scorn. Then you heat up all my corn. We're gonna chase those crazy. Chase them crazy. And we are back in the effing universe. One hour of black power thinking. Welcome back, Dr. Moore. Peace to God. Peace to the universe. Um we were talking about um, what is um, this one person um, termed common condition and um, the other being common culture. And he was saying that culture, in his definition, was the things that we share, like um, our economics and um are um, the way we um, celebrate in society. Those are cultural comments, common culture. But common condition was what he described as the adverse effect of marginalized people being together. They share a common enemy, a common... um, condition and somehow that can get taint what culture should be instead of you uh, um, developing culture you develop from the condition your thoughts not as to whether it's right or wrong but do you see any um merits to the fact to the way he described it. I don't know that I do. Um, I'm almost in agreement with him because um, I almost think that the the condition and I don't know that he's saying this but um, I almost think I, I, I almost think that the condition mimics the culture. Hmm. Right, um, because the culture constant, constant, constantly changes. Right, so um, if I were to talk about um, the condition and how the condition affected the culture um, in my age growing up as a kid, um, when I look at what happened with the with the drug trade. That was 
right? Um, the drug. Your mic broke up when you said um, the condition with. Right. So what I was saying was, <clears throat> I think the condition mimics the culture. Mm-hmm. Right. Because in in my age growing up, I can remember how the drug um, epidemic was condition hmm. that affected the culture. Hmm. They then they then, to, in my opinion, began began to intertwine. Hmm. This became the culture. Hmm. Right. So. We saw we saw a condition happen where people were selling drugs. Saw people being impacted by the use of drugs. Then we saw being reestablished as a result of the drug. Right. So there were three things that were happening at once. There was a condition. There was a culture, and then there was a revitalization because. Depending on the, the condition, was people were becoming zombie-like as a result of crack right. cocaine. Uh, communities were being destroyed, right? Right. As so, all of this was impacting the culture. Mm-hmm. While impacting the culture, the culture was changing, right? Because the condition, on one hand, was. Um, uh, um, devastating the but another side of the culture was becoming enriched mm-hmm. as a result of the devastation so it was it was almost like two worlds in one mm-hmm. right that was existing at the same time in the same mm-hmm. place right so you saw like <clears throat> moms dads aunts, uncles, friends on drugs. But then you saw moms, dads, uncles, relatives becoming enriched as a result Hmm. of drugs. Right? So it's almost like an oxymoron. There were two things happening at the same time by the same condition. That's right. Which was was impacting the culture. Hmm. That's right. Right? So, so if if we're talking the way that we started off talking about con- the condition and the culture, depending on who's telling the narrative, right, um, is going to determine your your perspective about the culture or the condition, mm-hmm. because someone during that time that was um, using drugs, then the culture and the condition was looking different. But if you were someone that was being empowered as a result of that, then the culture and the conditioning was looking mm. different. Yes, sir. Uh, one of the things that he did mention also, um, which made a lot of sense, too, was he said that um, black Americans, as opposed to black Africans and black Caribbean people that are here in America, was our culture is established as black Americans like um going to the barber shop that's that's what he considered uh culture um but he also because and the reason that he considered it culture 
or um, common culture was the fact that no one has to tell us that you need to support your own barbers. It's not even um, a foregone conclusion. You you just instinctively know I'm going to this barbershop in my neighborhood. It's the one thing that, that other cultures cannot come in and take from us because it's just innate that that we not even as a matter of survival but we just want to be our hair cut by our barbers and there's a whole community and a whole social life built around the barbershop the black barbershop so that is black american culture and he explained that black american condition was where we unlike our um brothers and sisters from the Caribbean and from Africa, we do not keep our money in our community. He explained that when people come from Africa, before they even leave Africa to come to America, there's already a whole community that has decided how this body, if he's unfortunate, meets his unfortunate demise in America, how to get the body back to Africa for burial. It's very important to them, innately important to them, that the body returns to Africa and not buried in the United States. I thought that was, and he said that that was natural to them like the barbershop was natural to us. So those are common culture, but when it comes to us spending money as black Americans, we don't have a common culture that will keep the money in our community. Okay. I, uh, you yes, sir. Okay. I don't know that I think that um, the analysis that the brother used in terms of um, the black barbershop is in innate. Like, is it innate thing that we naturally know? Um, and I don't think that that's any different from white people that grew up in their communities that know that they want right. to go to a but white bar. Understand the context and when she's saying it, he's saying nobody has to tell us, nobody has to teach us to go into a barbershop and get a haircut from somebody that looks like you. But what we have to be taught, which is what he describes as common condition rather than common culture, is how to spend money amongst ourselves when it should be an innate principle of community, of black community, the fact that we spend with ourselves. We have to be taught that. And other people can come in to our community and be able to usurp that part of the culture of keeping your money within your community. And that doesn't happen yep. in the West Indian community and the Af- Black African community. Yeah, but but I think what's not what I think what's not fair if you if you if you're going to make that analysis, not you per se, but you you make analysis based mm-hmm. on the brother, right? 
I think was not fair for him to say is that no other community has lived through the atrocities of slavery and integration in this country the way that black people have. Right. And that so would be called co- common condition rather than common culture. We misconstrue it as as culture, but it's actually just common condition. It's a subtle difference, but um, the point that he's, he's making is that we tend to um, equate um, things that are, are, are um, subjugating us as culture, like the crack. The crack created its own culture in the black community, but we somehow took that in as, um, embraced that as black culture. But um, you saw black people walking down the street with TVs and shopping carts, and you knew that that was part of the culture. But the drugs, we didn't make the drugs. You understand? So things are coming into our community and we embrace them instead of rejecting them. Yeah, but I, but, but I, I just don't know that I think it's fair to look at it completely like that. Right, like, but without we, we, nitpicking, the, the point is, if you go to um, the Asian community, they have their own barbershops, right? If you go to the Italian community, they have their own barbershops. You rarely see a black guy sitting in an Italian barbershop in an Italian neighborhood. He's not from there, right? Right. That's what I mean by natural culture. Yeah, but it's the same way in our community. You rarely see a white person. That's natural. What is unnatural is crack in our community. Yeah, but what's not natural right now? Do you now, see crack in in the Italian community like that, or even in the rich community like that? Even though there's there's yeah. certain people, the percentages is where you're going to get into trouble because the percentages don't show the same thing. Like in the black community, it riddled our community where houses were being boarded up, whole projects being boarded up for crack. You didn't see that in the rich community. You didn't see that in the Italian community. You didn't see that type of devastation in the Chinese community, the Arab communities in America. I agree. I I, I agree. And I think that that was the first time it happened. But what I will say, and I don't want to sound like a a person that's defending white people or or, uh, white culture or what's happening in the white community. But what I will say is that what's happening now in terms of meth in the white community, in the white world, is what we saw that happened in the black community in the ninth, in the late 1980s, in the early night, uh, 1990s. The way that meth is impacting the white community is like or similar to, to what crack did to the black community. White folks, the difference is the way that they're dealing with meth in the way that the white community is different from the way they dealt with crack and the way crack manipulated and devastated the black community because they determined 
and decided, and black folks were in agreement that black folks need to go to jail, they need to be locked up. We don't know what to do with these people that are on crack. Well, they're not doing that with the white people that are on meth. And meth is devastating the white community. Right. So that that would further his point that meth for the white community would be a common condition rather than common culture. Well, it's becoming culture. It's right? becoming culture, it's the, but it is yeah, it, it would the, be misconstrued as culture by the that white community if they because they embrace it. It is not. It, well, it's actually a condition. It, it is a, a drug addiction that is infiltrating their community. So that would be a common condition and not a common um, culture. Yeah. So, so right. And 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 so before. Okay. So before we, we lose one another, my my argument initially was how the condition impacted the culture. And they almost became one and the same. And what I'm saying as relates to meth and what it's doing to the white community is impacting their culture, right? And so we can look back hindsight and see how that was not supposed to be the culture, but it became a part of the culture. What I'm saying, meth in the way that it is impacting white people might not be the way that they see culture, but hindsight looking back, they're going to see how meth has impacted their culture. And they're almost simultaneously like crack and what crack did to the black community. Yes, sir. And and we don't that- we don't see it in in our community. As especially like in terms of economic development. Why do people outside our community have to show us that this should be our culture. Why isn't it not um, something that we innately think of when it comes to black culture in America? Well, I don't think it's fair to say innately, because that would mean that you naturally know that. Right? And Shouldn't we? I don't, I don't, what well, I don't think so. <laughs> Why not? Right? But Every other community understands that. Every other community in America understands that, except for us. I don't know that I agree that every other community does that. Brother, does understand that. Why does but, every other community have a community? It comes right back to that point that I was bringing up before. There is no such thing as little black or little African American. There, there's none of that here. It is not something that we think about. We think about buying a Bentley, buying a, a BMW, buying uh, gold chains. That is not culture. That That is common condition. The fact that we are marginalized and poor and we think that these things individually make us look better. And they, perhaps they do, but that is not something that should be innately in your culture. That is something that you've been indoctrinated with. See, and this and this is and this is why I disagree with that, right? 
and the reason why I disagree with that ideology is because um, in every community I've lived in, whether it was D.C., South Carolina, New York, I've always known black communities that I can go to for specific things, right? And there were black communities, even as small as South Carolina, that you could go. Like when I um, went to college, I lived on a black, I lived, I went to an HBCU, which was a black campus. You, you, if ever, rarely left the campus to get something that you needed. Everything that you needed really was on that campus. And if it wasn't on the campus, you knew where to go outside of the campus Mm. to get it. Right? And same way when I lived in New York. When I lived in New York, every place, particularly messing with you, every place I went to get something, if I got it out of the, outside of the black community, I was chastised for that. Mm-hmm. So if it was food, if it was bread, if it was fish, if, if it was whatever, you showed me every black business, black cleaners, black everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you go to anything outside of black. So I knew every black newspaper, black anything and everything. While it, you know, you know, as limiting as it was, I still knew where mm-hmm. it was. I rarely if ever, if ever, went to a white establishment when I was in. And mm-hmm. I know of many, if not all, of places that I can go in the black community, get whatever I need done, whether it's the cleaners, whether it's food, whether it's, you know, anything, work done to you know, to the house, I know of those things. So I'm not saying that, um, and I think my disagreement is that. And you're saying when, that your experience of that was common. I'm not saying that's it's common. What, well, that's right? where we're going to disagree on. And I'm also agreeing with you that it is not common. And all I was asking is how come it is not common? And if we um, if we look at it, because I wanted to stay on the subject of a civilized society and capitalism, capitalism can be a good thing, but it has to be a part of your very culture, your very understanding of surviving in a in a territory, whether it be your territory or somebody else's. You have to understand how to survive. We don't have that. The fact that 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 um, I was participating in black um, economics was not common in my community. Yeah, but I, but but I think was fair. Let's just stick with the black community because that's what we know. But I think it's not fair to compare what we. Or don't know in the black community to what we think other people know in their community. We can only assume that this is what white folks think, this is what Jewish folks think, this is what Italians or Indians. We don't we don't know that. So I don't think it's fair to give them so much credit while beating us down, saying that we don't. Because what I do know for me, right? Like I am a member of many black organizations, right? Um, I'm a member of Omega Sapphire Fraternity Incorporated. 
which is is historical um, black Greek organization. I'm a member of Prince Hall um, Masons. I know specific places and specific people that are nothing but black oriented. So when you talk about in when we talk about things that are innate, I think it has everything to do with you know how we may or may not be raised. I wasn't raised that way, right? So no, it wasn't innate in in me, but I learned it. But I can't say that it's not innate in my kids because that's what they grew up around all their life, right? So I think it we want to be careful. Because it's subjective, I think, in our perspective, if we're talking about black people as a whole, you know, because if you grew up in a household, right, where, and I know since I have gone to college and, you, you but I, I know where I come from and I know what I was taught the way that I grew up, but I, that is very different in different worlds of the black world now. So my perspective about the black world was very limited. In, in where I come from. But then when I was able to go to college, I met many black people that come from historical um, family members who have all with the HBCUs, right? And who have all played these black Greek organizations, right? And I, so I know tons of them that are like that. And so when they go to college, they're thinking, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this historic thing. I want to be a, my mom was this, my dad was this, my granddad was this, right? So it's this historical thing. So I do and know black. You're saying people. that we can see that also demonstrated in the masses of the black community. I'm not and saying that. that is the difference the that I am saying that right. other communities, you, you can but, see that the percentage of people that fail in other communities is very low compared to the one that we do know about the masses of black black people in the black community we understand that there is a big difference in failure rates yeah but it's but it makes sense that there is bro because you're saying that they have the hbcus are the rule or the exception that's what i'm not grasping but I'm not talking about the HBCUs, period, like that. You know, I just use them right. as an example. But, but you see how natural it, it came for that little small community to say that I want to be a part of that history. That is culture. What happens in the masses of the black community is condition. Is it is it so egregious to say that or even think that way? Again, I I don't know that I'm separating the two. I, I think you're you're fighting me on the, on terminology, and that's cool. Rather than getting the point, the point is that we have things in our community that are conditions that keep us down, whereas other communities they also have conditions. Nobody's is um. Uh, um, free of that type of um, ailment in their community but the percentages of the people that succeed and fail 
is based on you being able to create your own house. And there's a China house. There's an Italian house. There's a Jewish house. But there's no black house. There's a white house. Yet I, I can't see how it would be such a criminal act to say that, hey, this brother um, may have something there. May have something that we can impart to the audience that say, hey, change your thinking. Look at how people that come from other communities, when they come to America, they don't come here and fill out an application. They come here, they've been sent for by their community. We need somebody to man this store. We need somebody to work in this business. That's how they get along. We don't have that luxury because we ain't coming from nowhere. We're, we're separated from even our African base. That is condition. Whether you want to agree with the word or terminology, I think we should be able to see how things are not working in our community and be able to articulate them to the rest of our audience and say, look at this and see if we can't change the thinking on it rather than arguing about the terminology rather than arguing about the exceptions rather than the rule. The rule in the black community is that we're failures. I think I think that's where we I think that's where I, I disagree. I don't see it like that. I don't I don't see us as failures. And so I think you that, can that, prove to me statistically <laughs> that we are not failures. Can I prove to yeah, you? Yeah, I'm gonna send you to the library. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So you I mean, you you'll have to show and prove that, brother. Well, I'm 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 gonna try to attempt to, <laughs> right? If 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 let's just deal with with yes, you sir. and I, okay? And if we deal with with you and I, then the ratio is fifty fifty. If, if that, because I wouldn't identify you as a failure, and I wouldn't identify myself as a failure. So if that's the rule, then I think that you and I are both 100 percent. Right. Because the because to me, you know, I don't know how you're going to identify failure, but I don't see you as a failure. I don't see so myself that's a as a failure. mathematical problem, because you and I would make 100 percent if we were the only ones in the world. But that's so right. But so what I'm if saying we is, were to compare ourselves to our community, which we belong to. It wouldn't be like we were okay. forcing that premise on anybody or or asking them okay. to challenge it. All we're saying but is how, but compare how we, our how, success how we, to the masses of the community and the number is going to be disproportionately fail. Well, that's why I disagree. So you're saying right? that because there's not a disproportionate number of um, black males in prison? But but you saying what if you ask me subjectively, I'm trying to, bro. Let me answer. <laughs> you're, you're saying you're, you're you saying say, that 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 you can prove that we don't fail. Answer the I'm question trying, of how, how come we 
only make up 13% of the population, but we are 80% of the prison population. Bruh, I, I'm trying to That's ask you That's conditioning. Bruh, well, look, okay, look, if you just want to be right, that's one thing. Want me to respond, I will respond. Okay, so my response is you ask me subjectively about my specific community. My specific community is very diverse. I know people that have went to college. I know people that have not. But I know a significant amount of people that, that are successful that are black that I talk to and interact with every day. In fact, my particular community is probably more people that are successful and are doing things that are prominent you know, and successful than people that are not. Now, I come from or was raised in a community where people that probably have not, but that's not as much my community today as it was from me growing up. So to me, for me to answer your question authentically and organically, if you asking me specifically, then my the number of people that I know are more um, successful, you know, and are more um doing things more um, constructively in the community and for themselves than are not. And I'm not saying that I don't know people that aren't and I don't come from people that aren't, but I probably know more people right now in my life that are as opposed to right. not. And that is where you should be. And that is where we should be. That, that, that's perfect. The perfect answer. But it proves the other point that the brother made. Now, follow this. He says, based on our rejection of a condition, we as black people have to separate ourselves from our people. Or you're going you're gonna to be consumed by your own people. You're going to be exploited by your own people. You're going to be pushed down railroad tracks by your own people. So it's absolutely correct. Your your genuine answer um, furthers the 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 um, need to get out to the community that we have to separate ourselves from certain certain um, elements in our community, and unfortunately, those elements are the masses of our community. The large percentage of, of our community are them that we have to yeah. separate from. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I think the, the part of the problem that, that or that I think I get lost in is when we keep comparing or when you keep comparing us to these other people that you to me sounds like you make them seem like they're doing so much better. When we just watched an example of white people storming the Capitol and doing all these destructive things. And then we hear other white folks saying, oh, those aren't me. That isn't us. You know, like they're separating themselves from the people that are doing these crazy things. And I think that while it's almost like when I hear people talk about black on black crime, I, I, I hate that 
ideology, and I hate that terminology, because I think as much as there is black on black crime, there's white on white crime. I think there's Asian on Asian crime, Chinese on Chinese crime. I think that crime is proximity. And so when people, I, I hate when I hear people talk about Chicago, New York, and D.C., and all these different places, and they always focus on the negative things. If, if you talk about D.C., you want to talk about Southeast. And I live here in this area, but I know that D.C. is so much bigger than Southeast, and I know it's so much bigger than just that little area and that little pocket of people that might be killing one another every night or every other night. There's so much more of D.C. that's positive and that's happening, but there's so much focus on that little area. Same with, with Chicago. You know, you got the you got the Nation of Islam in Chicago. You got the minister. You got so many people in Chicago that's doing positive things. But people constantly talk about all oh, Chicago, this Chicago, that, and and how you know it's like these murders every night. Same way with New York. You know, there's there, there, there's so much else that I think we can focus on. And I'm not saying um, don't that that those things don't exist. They do exist. But you and I, that's not where we are every night and what we're doing every night. In fact, every Friday and Saturday night, for the most part, you can find us having a positive conversation with one another and we're not in the streets killing one another. And we're not associating ourselves with people that are killing one another. While we know that exists, we are trying to do something productive and positive, you know, on the weekend or even particularly at the late night hour at three, four o'clock in the morning, where people might be out drinking, smoking, you know, doing whatever and hurting one another. That's not what we're doing. That's not what we're promoting. So I'm just simply saying that I, I think we have to be very careful about beating us down, you know, and saying, why are we not doing this? And why are we not doing this as black people? Because I think that there's so many of us that are. And I think that for the ones of us that aren't, I don't know that I have the answer for the ones that aren't because I think the ones that aren't are the people that don't want to. It's almost like like I can remember being with you every Sunday, you know, at the mosque, you know, and meeting people along the way. The people, th there are people that were constantly um, uh, uh, nice, you know, respectful, knew who you were, knew who I was, would buy a newspaper, but they just they didn't want to join a nation or they just didn't they wanted to do what they did every day and i get it and so i think that that's why I've always, my all, my biggest pushback i think a lot of times is that we talk you, you know uh, you and i have the conversation it's about all black people getting the message and i think that that's what's not fruitful or i don't think that that's realistic to think that all black people are going to feel and get a message the same way. And so part of that even goes back to that movie that I watched the other night by, I think it was produced by Regina King, um, where she had Malcolm X and um, Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown and Sam Cooke in this hotel room. And they were having conversations about the plight of black America and black people. And there was never a resolve at the end of the movie where all of them just agreed. And I, and, and, and I think it's frivolous for us to waste energy 
talking about what all black people should do. I think that I I, I just think that all black people should do what they feel is necessary for them. And I, I understand the gangster life. And some black people love the gangster life. So that is that element to me is not going to go away. I think same way with the Italian, the, the Italian mob, the Chinese mob, you know, the Jewish mob. I think that's going to be across the board. I think that's not necessarily America. I think that's life. Yes, sir. We're at the 30 minute, 39 minute mark in the TF universe. Um, I will say this and I'll leave it at that. Um, the people that stormed the Capitol are not the majority, nor do, does um, wanting to separate yourself from them be a, can, uh, is going to be a bad thing. I think that um, we as black people have that too. We want to separate ourselves from people that are failures. What I am focusing on is the numbers. The number of people that stormed the Capitol is not representative of all of white America. However, if you do the contrast with black America, the number of people that fail is consistent with a large majority of our people overall. And if we want to have black power thinking, then we have to think and observe, whether it be subjectively or objectively, and see where we're going wrong. And if that is a crime, if that is not feasible without criticizing the word all instead of what the point is, then I don't know what to say, brother. But we, okay. I'll and, let and, you uh, and, respond, and then we have to go because we're at the forty-minute mark. We we did a okay. double in one. Okay, <laughs> all right. So I'll, I'll respond in. No, I will respond now because. Uh... Okay, so so my my simple response to this, I think that you're right in terms of the numbers as it relates to black people, but I this as it relates to the numbers, there are more white failures. And they are black values. And, and and so if we talk about what black folks are not being successful at, I can tell you this, that white folks have had a, 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 a lead in the race, but they have a higher percentage of failure in terms of white people. Because they have more population, that's why. But exactly. their percentage so, of failures to success is a higher percentage. Why can't we have that higher percentage in the China in, in the um, in in the um, in the Asian community? You have the same type of white people. You have more white people than you have poor yes, people. Yes, of course, because or they you, are two hundred and fifty million to our thirteen million. But what what is not no re- the same? So, what is not consistent is ma- the percentage. There is at least the same fifty to sixty percent failure rate in the black community. There is no such thing as a fifty to sixty percent failure rate, even with those amount of numbers in the white community. That's what you're not getting. I just, yeah, 
Okay, so so my, so so my point before we, yeah. we come to a close with the way that America is constructed and with the racism in America, there's no reason why any white folks seventy million people, seventy plus million people voted for Donald Trump. Seventy plus million people in this country. Why why do you have that high number of white folks? voting for Trump in this modern day. It speaks volumes to their lack of success. That. Well, what that has to do with the point? <laughs> that's, that's, that's my point. My whole, the my, point, my, my the whole point, point was is, to, uh, a common culture. What is common culture and what is common condition? And it seems like we are that, failing because of a condition, not because of a culture. And we need to develop our culture better so that these things are natural thinking ways. Let you get the last word. Okay, good luck with that. That's your last word. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Peace. You're saying prayers to the devils, I say. And we are back in the effing universe. One hour of black power thinking. Uh, We did two segments. One in the last segment. Pretty exciting. Um, Our theme tonight was uh, civilized society and capitalism. Um, some people are not going to fit in and they have to be ostracized from society. And, um, depending on your success or failure rate, you may be one of the ones ostracized. It's not the, um, hard and fast. Um, it's not absolute, but it is kind of how the pattern works if you can follow that pattern you may um, be successful in not being ostracized it doesn't guarantee it but um, it at least lets you understand how the pattern works Um, we're back brother Um, we wanted to continue with last night's discussion that got cut off at the end of seeing your opposition as a collective rather than as individuals, which ties into the last segment, which we talked about common condition versus common culture. Um, You wanted to say that um, one person was bad and I wanted to you to continue with that um, line of thought, and I'll see if I can participate in. I said that one person was bad. Yeah, you said Trump was bad. Okay, um, but walk walk me back to what? Okay. What what preceded that? Um, you said that um. Donald Trump was a devil 
and I said um, that um, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad did not tell us to point out any individual. Like, we couldn't point out John F. Kennedy. We had to see it as a race, as a whole, as a collective, and not point fingers at individuals because that wasn't the effective way of looking at the power dynamics of how we are going to be able to control our destiny and our black power thinking. And you said that that was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and I, 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 uh, you know, I still hold true to think that, um, I, I for sure don't look at all white folks as, as devils, as a race. Um, because I think that black people can be devils. I think that anybody can be a devil. Because if we are defining devil by the definition of the Bible and the devil being an evil person, a person that causes mischief on the, on the planet Earth, I don't see all white folks that way. I see some white folks that way, but I see Donald Trump as a manifestation of that. I think that he has definitely um, been a person who has manifested that definition of a person who has caused mischief uh, on the planet Earth. And he has manifested um, characteristics of a devil. So that's why I said um, I see him that when I say devil, I'm talking about not the color of his skin, but the manifestation of his character. Right. Which is what we spoke about last night. But I'm going to entertain your thought for one second. Okay. Uh, but I'll let you finish first. No, that's... Um, that's that, that. Okay. All right. So here it is. Slavery comes up once again. I want you to tell me who did what to our ancestors? I'll need names from you. Who did what to our ancestors? You need yes, I need names. Like Trump. Who, who did it? Stay in that question. Uh, of course you can't. And that is the point. The point that we want to point fingers at an individual is such a powerless way of thinking about how we must change our dynamic. And the way that Elijah Muhammad or Master Farad Muhammad taught us to look at devil was not as individual. He said to look at it as a collective effort to keep you their foot on your neck. And you can't put a name on it because there's no way to prove a name. But what you can prove is that history has shown these atrocities happen here. And based on that, we as the descendants of those people have to now try to empower ourselves and how will we empower ourselves if we are making little small talk about Trump 
about this person, that person. It it trivializes the argument that this thing that happened to us happened as a collective. Even the people that didn't agree with it that allowed it to continue have to be part of that. So in order for us to be empowered, the first thing that had to be taken out of our mind was the fact that we were slaves. And how did Master Farad Muhammad do that? He said that you are God. Not that you are God of um, this powerful being, but first of all, you have to understand that you are God, master of your destiny. And once you understand that, you have to understand that who put you in a, in a condition that destroyed that destiny have to be thinking of collectively. And you have to start to un- unite or unify your thinking. Not point fingers at people, but to unify your thinking so that you can move forward. We don't think as a collective, and that's why there's individual success, and there's nothing wrong with that individual success. But when you look at the percentages in our community, you can tell that we don't think unifiably. Okay. Uh, You want me to respond? Yes, sir. So, um, I think that you know, that that thinking or that type of teaching, I think that could be problematic. Uh, Because what you are doing is not you per se, but to me, when I hear that type of thinking, um, is is putting me in a box of telling me that this is the way I need to think. If I'm not thinking this way, then I'm not thinking correctly. I should only see it this way. And if I say, "Well, I don't see it that way," then you, then not you per se, but the person who is teaching this is saying then you are the problem. You don't see it the way that the collective see it. And that's where I would disagree. Because if I, particularly if I am going to see myself as God, or do I see God as a collective? Because if I say I'm leg, leg, I'm head, Allah born manifestation, and I am the manifestation of Allah, then we are all God of the most high God. So I, as God, can see and have knowledge, wisdom, understanding, manifest God. I don't know that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, knowledge, wisdom, manifesting God is collective. And it, it doesn't make sense to me that that's collective because God's, when they met, they would challenge you on on your scholarship of who who and what God was. They didn't challenge you 
on the collective of who God was. They challenge you on you knowing who God was. So I'm saying that if you're telling me that I need to name a name or name names of individuals and somehow that is going to manifest my uh, collective understanding of what has happened to black folks, I don't see that, nor do I agree with that. I, I see where that's coming from. I don't see how that's effective to me. I see how that's effective to a group. If that's what that's the message you're trying to send to a group, I don't see how that's effective to me because I may not be, I may not have been impacted by your slave master. While I understand collectively how slave masters have impacted the group, but it may not have impacted me like that. So as an individual, I'm, you know, I may have learned to read or write like a, like a Frederick Douglass and, or I may be a Harriet Tubman and I'm not a collective, but I'm an individual that can lead a collective of people to freedom. So I, so whether I'm a Nat Turner, who's an individual or whether I am a Frederick Douglass or a Harriet Tubman, I can still manifest God individually and be God. And it's to me, it's not taken away from the collective as a group. And I don't have to see all white folks like that because I know that all white folks, some all white folks or some white folks were participatory in the freedom of slaves. So I don't, that's not how I see that, nor do I think that I need to agree that that's how I need to see it. Well, I see that perspective. That's not the perspective in which I agree. Do you see racism as a class act or an individual act? Do I see racism as I see racism both? I see it. I see it both ways. Explain. I see racism as a class act and historically that racism was something that um, whether all white folks agreed with it or not, it was a group effort. But I see racism also where individually white folks fought against that to, to break that dissension so that that wasn't a class act. That is the weakest thing I've heard you ever say, brother. <laughs> um, your your whole your whole um, academics will teach you that um, racism, classism, genderism cannot be based on individuals. Where you getting? I agree with that. Show me, show me. In what book are you getting? I, I disagree. That 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 racism is an individual act. Show me in what book that you read in your college uh, days that has told you that. Where did you get that from? Well, I think you just. I think you just spoke to. Tell me where you got it from. I, I'm trying to, bro. You just asked me a question. Quote me somebody. Like you can quote me. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, damn. Uh, Henry Ford. 
Right. Okay. Where did you get the quote that, that racism is an individual act? Sigma Freud is an individual. It's not class. Right. But but where did you so, get so what I'm, where did you get so so what I'm saying you 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 you're answering and speaking to your own answer. You asked me to to speak to one one person. That's that's Sigma Freud. So historically, no, that ain't what I asked you. Answer the question. What book? What um, study did you get that racism is an individual act? Just tell me where you got it from. I, I think the way you're asking the question is what's wrong. Because you, you're asking me for a single book that will be the man. There's no single book. Tell me what study, brother. Uh, bro, listen to what I'm saying. I'm, I'm trying to show you how the question. It don't have to be a book. Bro, tell me where you got it from. Listen to it. Give me your source. Didn't, bro, you, didn't you learn in school bro, that you have to quote sources, right? Bro, you're asking the question. I'm trying to show you how you're asking the question wrong. You're trying to ask an academic question, but you're asking it academically wrong. Okay. Right? And, and so let me show you how you're asking it wrong. You're asking me. How, can you show me how to ask brother, it right? Brother, listen. Listen to how I'm telling you you're asking it wrong. Right? Can you show me how to ask it right? Brother, can you? Brother, you going to let me ask you the question right? So ask the question correctly. Go ahead, brother. I, so what I'm saying to you is, academically, right, there's no there's no one source that you can come to an academic, academic or scholarship conversation and say, give me one source, right? I, I, I spent two years of writing a dissertation. What doesn't make sense to me or what would not make sense to someone of academia is to say, show me one source. Right. Because if you are going to write a dissertation on one subject, one idea, you need a hundred plus sources. So when you say to me, give me one source as if one source. No, I'm not going to let you get away with that. Give me as many sources as you can, brother, in the limited time that we have. Don't limit it to one. I want you to answer the question. Ask me to give you one source. And what I'm saying. No, I, I, I'm not saying one source. I'm saying give me as off, many as you can. Bro, you started off. Tell me bro, where racism is an individual act. Is that where you studied? Where did you study that from? Bro, bro now you're changing your, you're changing your question. Right, because you said I asked it wrong. Right, so. And I, and I listened and inferred from your understanding that I should ask it this way. Don't give me one source. Give me multiple sources or whatever it is that you want to do. But tell me, where did you get this notion that racism is an individual thing? Okay, so, I, I, first of all... Because that's what you said, so you have to defend it. Bruh, bruh listen, I understand your desire to want to be right, right? And, 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 and that's fine. But I just want to be clear in that I said that I believe that racism is both. I didn't say it was one. I right. So prove the part about the both that is for the individual, because I still haven't seen it in any academic study. None. Zero. Zero. Okay. So then, I, I, I mean, you can prove me wrong, though. Bruh, I'm, just tell me the source. Bruh, or any source. Bruh, listen. 
Is it in your dissertation? It, it is. If you if 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 you re- I would like you to read it to me. Uh, that racism is individual. Bro, first in your dissertation. Bro, first of all, racism is not my my dissertation is depression in black men. But for the sake of this conversation, please hear me out before you interrupt. For the sake of this conversation, I believe that racism is both individual and collective. And I am going to sum this up, right, with with just three sources. My three sources are the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th Amendment. And I'm going to rest my case there. And there you have it, folks, at the 19-minute mark in the effing universe. You will have to do your homework on your own and see if those sources are correct. Uh, There's one other subject that I wanted to encroach upon right quick, brother. Absolutely. Let me look back here right quick. Um, and while you're looking, at, you know, into that, there was something that you talked about. Um, uh, you said some people are not, you started off the podcast by saying some people are not going to fit in um, and they're going to be ostracized. And what I want to say to those people is be very careful about trying to fit in the places that you feel like you don't fit. And I think that be very careful of being a circle trying to fit into a square. Um, Because a group of people surround yourself with and you find not fitting in Okay, to not in, and it's okay to create your own circle. One of the conversations that Brother Douglas and I have had in the past, um, and I I said to him, um, I remember when I was when I was younger and as a Muslim, I think I had missed a lot. And one of the brothers had come to me and he said, "Oh, brother, you you missed a lot today, um, you know." And I was like, okay, I'm gonna make it up. And he said, Oh, you can make it up, but bruh, you know, you still gonna spend a certain amount of time in the hell fight. <laughs> right. And I said, Well, you know, I wasn't able to make it because school, why after school practice or something, something happened. And then he said to me, Well, brother, um, according to the hadith, I think it was the hadith or the Quran, he said, Allah is going to say to you in your last days did not make my earth spacious enough. So what I'm saying in that is that if you feel like the circle that you're in is not conducive to your mental health, change the circle. Create another circle. Um, I'm not a person that earth is overpopulated. I believe God has created enough land for all of us, enough space for all of us. And I think that you can create your own space. Where you become dysfunctional 
is when you try to fit in spaces that you don't fit. So if you're a circle trying to fit into a square, realize you're a circle that doesn't walk in a square. So in understanding this society, while you live in a capitalistic society where there's rich, middle, and poor, that had to define you. Because rich is relative. Poor is relative. Middle class is relative. So it doesn't matter whether or not you have a big dollars or five dollars. Doesn't take away from your richness. Doesn't take away from who you are as a person. But if you're defining yourself under those categories, then that's where you are meeting patients. So understanding those perspectives as relates to America but not limiting or putting yourself in a box at those things in America. You can still be successful in creating your own success and not allowing it to be defined by someone else saying you have this education or you have this amount of money or you have this amount of social status. That's not your definition and do not allow that to be your definition of success. Yes, sir. Um, we are at the damn time is going so damn quick. Uh, we're at the 23, 24 minute mark in DF and Universe. We're going to get to uh, closing statements and um, in this podcast. I think it was productive. Um, I don't think that every conversation has to be agreeable because there's going to be a lot of business that has to be done in terms of uh, black power thinking. And we're going to have to get to the root of all conversations like this. So I don't think that um, arguing and I don't think we were arguing, but um, I don't think debating is, is a bad thing. But um, I think something has to come of it. Hopefully, you can see that in our final statements. But before we get to our final statements, um, brother, did you play the Mega Millions and the Powerball? Because <laughs> <laughs> you got to be in it to win it. Now that we can do on an individual level. Because <laughs> I ain't sharing none of my none of you niggas. <laughs> uh, I can tell you. Sure. <laughs> Put one dollar, not one dime in the Powerball. Nor do I intend to. Uh <laughs> I would like to know your rationale on that, brother, because you could be reported to the mosque. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I don't know that I have a legitimate uh, rationale. I don't think that it is as much of a waste of money. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to prove that. <laughs> particularly someone who is going to argue <laughs> because statistically <laughs> you have as much chance as, <laughs> you have as much chance as 
the person that um, is about to commit suicide <laughs> and, and is about to jump on that third rail of, of <laughs> the likelihood of surviving the third rail. Exactly. So, um, I would almost take my dollar <laughs> in, in that <laughs> and probably spend it on a pack of juicy fruit. <laughs> because at, at least, at juicy least, fruit. <laughs> Poor Kenny, brother. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding for the camera. But uh <laughs> at, at at least I get your point too. Yeah, because at least at the end of the day I'm going to get some result. Hmm. That first of some substance out that, of it. Exactly. Because that sweetness from that juicy fruit <laughs> energy as opposed to the loss of a hundred billion other people <laughs> that are gonna feel the pain of not winning. Hmm. So I'm going to share in that one burst of energy as opposed to that zillion burst of depression. Hmm. Yes, sir. Um I never used to play games of chance. Um I told you I lost my money one time in Atlantic City and I had to withdraw $400 out of the bank to get my $400 back that I lost. And I, I broke even, I'm almost broke even. I came like 300 of the 400 so I only lost $100. And I never gambled after that. But um, my father would play, and he was a church Christian man. He would play um, the lotto religiously because it was still twice a week even when it first came out. And he would play that shit religiously. And um, I know somewhere in Christianity you're not supposed to gamble. but um, And I know the Quran says you there's no um, room for sport and play. And 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 even in in psychology, do you know there's a there's a diagnosis for that? Hmm. What is it called? It's a gamble. It's a gambling diagnosis. Hmm. And and it is an addiction and a and a terrible one too. It's probably even more terrible than crack. Well, now that they, 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 is disproportionately in the white community. Well, they 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 equate that gambling addiction to alcohol and. It, you know, substance abuse. Hmm. Right. It's just it's just that severe. But you exactly. know, but, but you know, one I think one of the things that deterred me um is like I didn't really know like that until I came to New York and and was living with my aunt Shirley. Um mm. passed away, was passed away. But she used to send me to that freaking store. Religiously. <laughs> Hey, if she couldn't make it, she would send me over there to get this stupid um, number. And to this, <laughs> like that, I, 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 I never. Understood. But <laughs> he was so engaged, made me feel like that's something you're that breaking I, up. The, the the fact that she was so engaged in it made me feel like I needed to not participate in it. <laughs> I, I, you don't want no parts of it. 
if have she, you seen the obsessiveness? I, I and, and and knowing her mm. and seeing her in her condition, I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm not participating in this. <laughs> but she gambled. I mean, she had these books, like she would buy these books, and these books would tell her numbers. Like if she had a dream, mm-hmm. and the dream, the dream would say X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. then she would go and play that based on the dream. She had so she had this like book, a number of books on on gambling and dreams and all this other stuff, and she she truly believed in that. So I wow. was, so I I you know I looked I looked at that how I looked at Christianity. I looked at it as brainwashing. Hmm. That, but you know what would convince me to play? Like I've wasted a dollar on not utter nonsense. And um I could put a dollar towards five hundred and fifty million even though I don't have a chance of hitting it. Somebody hits some of the time. Not all, but um somebody hits. So I played uh, you got to play two games, so each game is two dollars. Two games is four dollars. So I played a four dollar ticket for Mega Ball, no Mega Millions, and four dollar ticket for um, Powerball. Yeah, bro, I get it. I mean, you you waste two dollars on much more. And the the jackpot is nobody hit again, so it's now it's up to six hundred and ninety million, almost a billion dollars. Gamble, gamble, young man, gamble. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings me back to billionaires or half a billionaires, uh, with the subject of um, I said Ice Cube last night when I was reviewing the tape to um edit it. I said Ice Cube and it, that was incorrect. Um, I was supposed to be talking about Dr. Dre, but somewhere in the conversation, I started it correctly saying Dr. Dre, but somehow in my mind I found in the tape that I said Ice Cube somewhere along in the conversation, further along in the conversation. So I want to retract that. Uh, the issue was um, Dr. Dre. Well, hopefully he's all right healthy-wise and he gets through this. But that's a lot of money to lose. He could stand to lose $500 million, which is a half a billion. You mean to his wife? Yeah. Uh, Potential ex-wife? Right. (laughs) Uh, nothing funny about that, but I, I just was waiting for a comment from you. I see you refrained. <laughs> yeah, I don't because I don't know that I don't know how I feel about that. Um, and I think that you and I had a conversation at some point about uh, black men marrying white women, right? And what that meant. So I think I had a different perspective than you had, right? About black men marrying white women, um, I, again, you know, the things I appreciate about the conversation, our conversations, um, whether we agree or disagree, is that sometimes they become extremely passionate. Right. And it's 
volumes to um, our, our friendship, and it speaks volumes to um, our ability to try to comprehend one another's pr- perspective. Right. Uh, so, you know, I'm I'm just at a place in my life where, um, you know. I, like when I look at the Trump supporters, I don't see the Trump supporters as people. Mm-hmm. Like it, that's not how I see people. That's not like how I see human beings. I see them as something other than. Mm-hmm. But, but when I see what I consider normal functioning human beings, I see them differently. So when I look at Dr. Dre and his wife, you know, in some way I kind of see them as you know, normal functioning people. So when I look at relationships, if it's a healthy relationship, I don't really, I'm not saying that I don't see color, mm-hmm. but color is not my primary focus. And that's why I think early on in part of our argument, when we were talking about race as a collective, that's not how I see race. Mm-hmm. I think I do, but I don't see that. Um, because I think that you could be a healthy functioning white person Asian person, right? You know, what I just think that you, I think that you, know, I, I just can't col- collectively place in a box that I think that they might might not fit. I think that if you try to put me the same way where I, where I wouldn't want a person to put me, right? Because right. I grew up, I grew up on welfare. I grew up in the projects. I, I grew up a statistic, right? In every situation of life, I was supposed to be quote-unquote a failure, if we're going to use that terminology that we use. Right. I was supposed to be that person. And if you can't see me outside of that, if you can't see me outside of seeing my black skin, then I that's problematic. Right? Because if you remove my skin and just have a conversation with me, kind of like what we're doing right now, where I can't see you, you can't see me, or the audience can't see us. Hmm. Right? Then what does that conversation look like? Right. You always have to assess the conversation as an intelligent conversation, as opposed to assessing the conversation as two black men having a conversation. That's a great uh, point there, brother. Um, any final thoughts? Um, bro, I think that, I think I'll let that be my final point. <laughs> it was a great one too. It's four thirty a.m. January seventeenth, twenty twenty one. Uh, our topic tonight was um, what was the damn topic? Um, well, bro, we, we kind of went all over the place, but exactly. Uh, I, and I I'm trying to tie it back in for um but I, I think I think you started off talking about civilized society and capitalism. Right. Yeah. So um for a final thought, I thought I would mention the fact that um there is no tried and true answer to anything. And um the classifications that people try to put us in, we don't have to exist in them if we don't want to. And there's nothing wrong with being an individual. 
and um, striving and succeeding and accomplishing goals as an individual. Um, I tried to beat you up <laughs> um, verbally on on all of that, brother. Um, just so that we are um, el- eliminating the the things that aren't um, relevant and um, having something to go on for the next conversation. And I hope that I did that tonight. And I hope that this podcast gives you a conversation to have with your family and friends. And I hope you've enjoyed it. We are approaching 40 minutes in the last segment of DF and Universe. Uh, Peace to you, brother, and peace to the universe. Peace to the God. Peace to the universe. Peace. Citizens of any nation Until the color of a man's skin Is of no more significance Than the color of his eyes Miss a war That until the basic human rights Are equally guaranteed to all Without regard to race It is a war